Hi everyone, welcome back to Logical Bible Study. This is the Catholic podcast, which is all about doing a verse-by-verse exegesis of Scripture, so really diving into the text to try and understand what it means on the most literal level. And of course, the goal of all this is to help you understand Jesus better, to get to know him and to get to know God better, and that should be our goal as Catholics. Today we're going to look at a passage, and this is the one you'll hear at Mass today, and it's quite a well-known one. It's the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. But I think there'll be some interesting things in here that you may not have considered before. So let's start by reading out the text. It's Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. There was a lawyer who, to disconcert Jesus, stood up and said to him, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What do you read there? He replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You have answered right, said Jesus. Do this, and life is yours. But the man was anxious to justify himself, and said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was once on his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of brigands. They took all he had, beat him, and then made off, leaving him half dead. Now a priest happened to be travelling down the same road, but when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite who came to the place saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan traveller who came upon him was moved with compassion when he saw him. He went up and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He then lifted him onto his own mount, carried him to the inn and looked after him. Next day he took out two denarii and handed them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and on my way back I will make good any extra expense you have. Which of these three, do you think, proved himself a neighbour to the man who fell into the brigand's hands? The one who took pity on him, he replied. Jesus said to him, go and do the same yourself. So, a well-known passage for most of you, but I think there's a few things here that warrant a bit more discussion or some perspectives you might not have considered before. Perhaps there's a couple of other things going on underneath the text when Jesus says this that are worth looking at. So what's the context? Jesus is on the way from Galilee to Judea. So he's on the way to Jerusalem and he's doing ministry along the way. Verse 25, there was a lawyer. So this would be an expert in the Mosaic law, not a lawyer in the modern sense, a lawyer in terms of an expert in the Jewish law. Now, he's probably been listening to Jesus for a while. In the previous part, just before this, Jesus has declared the things of the kingdom are hidden from the learned. He said that in verse 21 just before this. So that might be that might be the reason why Luke has placed this particular episode where it is, because he wants to make the point that often the learned don't understand the things of the kingdom. And so the lawyer approaches him, and our version says he wanted to disconcert Jesus. A better translation there would be to test him. He's trying to test Jesus. Why is he testing Jesus? Well, it's not entirely clear because on the one hand, he seems to actually genuinely want to know Jesus' answer here, but the text also tells us that he's testing Jesus. 
Maybe this lawyer thinks that Jesus is not really trustworthy, he's not really faithful to Judaism. So he's going to ask a question first that in his mind has a clear answer. So this is a lawyer who knows his Old Testament well, and he figures, I'll give Jesus an easy question, and if he really knows his Old Testament, he should be able to answer the question. So this is the question he asks. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the Jews in Jesus' time didn't yet have a complete understanding of what eternal life meant. That was only a concept that really developed late in the Old Testament period, so we see it hinted at in the book of Daniel, and then in 2 Maccabees chapter 7, verse 9, which is shortly before the New Testament, we see it explicitly discussed there. So, it was really only 100 or 200 years before Jesus that the Jews started to discuss uh, the afterlife in terms of eternal life. It was a concept that they were gradually coming to understand. In any case, though, certainly the Old Testament all throughout made clear that in order to get favor with God, one needed to follow the commandments laid out in the Old Testament. So the Jewish law expert here is thinking, well, if Jesus knows his Old Testament, he's going to know that to inherit eternal life, you have to keep the commandments. Now, this probably sounds familiar to you because this is the same question, basically, that the rich young ruler asks Jesus. He says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus lists the commandments, and then he says, one thing you lack, you need to go and sell your possessions and give it to the poor. So it starts in the same, it starts with the same question, but that story ends differently. So this is not the story of the rich young ruler. This is someone else. This is a lawyer. They're clearly different situations. Luke includes both this incident with the lawyer in Luke chapter 10, and then later the incident with the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. Verse 26, Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? So Jesus puts it back on the lawyer to see if he has discerned what the Old Testament teaches about the matter. If he really is an expert in the Old Testament, he should already know the answer to the question. Now, more literally, the Greek here says, this is what Jesus says to the lawyer, how do you read it? So Jesus is probably asking the lawyer how he interprets the Old Testament. What does he think the Old Testament's teaching is on the matter? How does he interpret it? And verse 27, here's what the lawyer says. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So the lawyer here lists the two great love commandments, which summarize all the others. The two commandments, so love the Lord your God, that comes from Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, and then love your neighbor as yourself, that's from Leviticus 19 verse 18. So both of those laws are in the Torah. They're not New Testament inventions, they're part of the Old Testament. Jews believe them. We know from Matthew's gospel in particular, because Jesus says has a lot to say about these two commandments in Matthew's gospel, that if people can get these two commandments right, they will fulfill all the others and they'll please God. If you want to hear a bit of a breakdown on these two commandments and what the words mean in terms of mind, soul, heart, strength, all of those, then we go into a bit of detail on that in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. So you can have a listen to that on Friday of week 20 in ordinary time. If you want to go back through the podcast archives, Friday of week 20 in Ordinary Time, we do a breakdown on the two love commandments because that's uh, the day in the lectionary where Jesus discusses them in detail. So maybe by this point, the lawyer has already heard Jesus speaking about these two love commandments 
Or maybe the lawyer actually looks at the Old Testament and this is the answer he comes up with. Maybe he realizes this is actually what the Old Testament teaches. So he says it's the two love commandments. Verse 28, notice what Jesus says here. He says, you have answered right. Do this and life is yours. That's actually a huge statement, isn't it? Jesus says, in answer to the question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? It's not believe in me, say this in his prayer. It's not that. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. If you can do those two love commandments, then you will inherit eternal life. That's actually Jesus' answer to the question, and we should pay attention to that. This is not just an old covenant thing either. Jesus is speaking in the present tense at the time that he's saying this. He's saying, if you do this now, life will be yours now. So when Jesus comes along, he doesn't abolish the requirement to follow God's commandments. That would be an overly simplistic way of looking at things. Both the Old Testament laws and the New Testament laws, if you can call them laws, they're really just an elaboration on the love commandments. In the Old Testament, how do you please God? Love God and love your neighbor. They had a bit of trouble with that, so God had to break that down further. In the New Testament, how do you please God? How do you get into heaven? Love God and love neighbor. And that's analyzed and broken down in various ways too. But that's the basic teaching. So if we're Christians and Catholics, we have to follow the love commandments. Otherwise, we're not going to make it to eternal life. That is Jesus' clear teachings. Verse 29, but the man was anxious to justify himself. So now that Jesus has confirmed the lawyer's suspicions about what's required to inherit eternal life, the man evaluates himself and he realizes there's a chance that he hasn't kept one of those two commandments. He's thinking to himself, have I really kept the love your neighbor as yourself commandment? He's a bit worried that maybe he hasn't done that. And that is going to depend in his mind on how that law should be interpreted. Because on one interpretation, he has actually fulfilled that commandment. But he's worried because there's another interpretation of that commandment that if it's correct, he has not fulfilled it and he won't inherit eternal life. So he asks Jesus for clarification about the right interpretation. He says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? So this is an interesting question. The Old Testament contains the law, love your neighbor as yourself. That's in the Old Testament. But it doesn't answer the question, who is my neighbor? It just says, love your neighbor. In the time of Jesus, it had largely come to be understood as basically this, love those who are in the covenant with you hate those who are outside the covenant or hate your enemies. And of course, that's exactly what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. And so the man wants to know, is that the right interpretation? Because at the time of Jesus, most Jews sort of went with that restricted interpretation where they loved each other in the covenant, but they hated the Romans and the Samaritans because they are the Jews' enemies and they're outside the covenant. So the lawyer is hoping that Jesus agrees with the narrow interpretation of neighbor, not a broad interpretation of neighbor. So if the narrow interpretation is correct, the lawyer can go away confident that he has fulfilled God's commandments and that he's going to inherit eternal life. But if Jesus does not agree with this interpretation of neighbor and Jesus takes a broader interpretation of what neighbor means, then the man's going to be in trouble because in his mind, he feels like he hasn't loved every person as a neighbor, only those in the covenant. It seems like that's what's going on in the background, and that's why he's asking the question. 
So Jesus is going to answer the question, sort of. Well, at least what he's going to do is he's going to give the definitive interpretation of this love your neighbor scripture. And he's going to do that by telling one of his most famous parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We've all heard this parable. There's lots of important basic lessons in the parable of the Good Samaritan because it's an easy one to understand, even for primary school children. There's some lessons here you can learn about how to treat people uh, and about human nature. And of course, if you've gone to Catholic primary school, you've heard this story. And that's a legitimate way of looking at the text. If you can just see it even as here's the wrong way to treat people who are in trouble, here's the right way to treat people who are in trouble. Well, that really is getting education in how to be a Christian. So I think that's a legitimate understanding of the text. But of course, if we want to understand the text properly on the literal level, there's a bit more to say than just the primary school version of this. But of course, that's a good starting point. So on the literal level, the parable is designed to address the matter of neighbor. It's a discussion about what is meant by the word neighbor. Now, something that's interesting to notice here is Jesus doesn't directly address the lawyer's question of who is my neighbor. He doesn't actually answer that. Rather, what Jesus does is he answers the more fundamental, more important question of what does it mean to be a neighbor? So Jesus shifts the focus here because he perceives that that's what the man needs to hear. So Jesus is going to shift from an old covenant way of thinking, which is what the lawyer is sort of thinking he's locked into. And Jesus is going to shift his thinking to a new covenant way of thinking. Now, a key part of understanding this parable as we start to look at it is keep in mind what the word love meant in New Testament times. And in fact, Old Testament times as well. When it says love your neighbor as yourself, love didn't mean have fluffy feelings. Love means to do good to someone. So keep that in mind as we go through the parable. Love means to do good. Verse 30, Jesus starts to do the parable. A man was once on his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So this is a real road between Jerusalem and Jericho. They're both in Judea, these towns. They're not far apart. They're only about 17 miles apart. So a day's walk apart, basically. But there's a considerable amount of dangerous road between them. There's a desert wilderness between them. And it's actually quite a steep road going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So a man, a fictional man, is walking along the road in this parable And he fell into the hands of brigands or robbers. So the wilderness area between Jerusalem and Jericho was actually well known for having robbers that would hide out among the hills. They would attack people on the road and take their possessions. And in this case, the robbers took all he had. What it literally says there is stripped him. So they took literally everything, even his clothes. They're probably going to sell his clothes to make money. And then they beat the man and made off, leaving him half dead. So it's quite a serious assault. This is not just a couple of scratches the guy has. He's been left half dead. He's probably unconscious. He needs serious medical attention. Verse 31. Now a priest happened to be traveling down the same road. So who's the priest? When you were in primary school, you probably thought of like a Catholic priest. But of course, in Jesus' time, he's thinking of a temple priest. This will be one of the priests who works at the Jerusalem temple. Someone who's set aside for doing the work of God. He's considered to be a holy man by the Jews, so he works in the temple. So a priest happens to be traveling down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, why would the priest ignore the man in trouble? There's actually two different explanations here of why the priest ignores him and crosses to the other side of the road. The first explanation would be that it's a human nature thing. 
The priest doesn't want to be responsible for helping the man. It might be too much trouble. He doesn't really want to do it, so he turns a blind eye. That's a legitimate interpretation. Some scholars think there's a bit more going on here. This is a priest. Maybe the priest is particularly concerned about ritual purity. Maybe the priest doesn't want to be defiled by being in contact with the man and his blood. And in particular, there's a rule in Leviticus chapter 21 verses 1 to 3. It says, Jews are not allowed to touch the corpses of anyone other than family members. And this man appears to be half dead. So maybe the priest suspects that the man is dead and he decides in order to keep his ritual purity, he doesn't want to touch the beaten man. So either of those interpretations could be right. Whichever one is right, it's pretty clear that by the end of the parable that both reasons are not sufficient. They're both just excuses, really. And the priest should have helped the man. He has not fulfilled his obligations to God, no matter what his excuse is. Verse 32, in the same way, a Levite who came to the place saw him and passed by on the other side. Now, who's the Levites? Well, they are assistants to the priests in the temple. If you look at Numbers chapter 3, there's some information there about what Levites are supposed to do. Basically, they're assistants to the priests. And in this parable, there's not a huge distinction between the priest and the Levite. Both of them are holy workers of the temple. So Jesus so far has talked about a priest and a Levite. They're both examples of people who were considered to be holy, and they were considered by the Jewish people to be righteous people, those who followed God's commandments and did one of the highest possible works you can do, which is to serve in the temple. As we'll see, the parable is going to make the point that many of Jesus' other parables make, which is basically just claiming to follow God or even just having a high position in the Jewish leadership. That's not enough. It's your actions that count. One must actually do God's will in order to inherit eternal life. So we get to verse 33 and we're introduced to a Samaritan traveler. So Samaria was not really nearby, but some Samaritans would take this road if they wanted to get from Samaria to Jerusalem. Samaritans were considered by Jews to be half Jews and unclean and therefore not really good models of holiness. And we've talked about Samaritans before, but Obviously, the key aspect in this parable is that the Jews did not really see Samaritans as good examples to look up to. They were seen as basically uh, unable to understand God's will, and they were seen as far from God. So the Samaritan would be quite a surprising person to pick in the parable. So the Samaritan comes upon the man and was moved with compassion when he saw him. So the Samaritan feels deep empathy for the beaten man and wants to help him. This is what the priest and the Levite should have felt too if their consciences were aligned with God's will. They should have felt compassion and they should have wanted to help the man. Verse 34, the Samaritan went up and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. So he goes over to the man and begins treating him. He pours oil and wine on the wounds and that's basic, basically the ancient equivalent of disinfecting the wounds. And then he lifted him onto his own mount or set him on his own beast. So he put the man on his own donkey so that the man doesn't have to walk. And basically, what we're going to see here, it's the equivalent of taking the man to the hospital as quick as possible. They didn't have hospitals or ambulances in those days, but it's basically the equivalent of that. He puts him on the donkey and gets him to the closest inn. So he carries him to the inn and looks after him. An inn would be kind of like a motel. It, obviously, it doesn't look the same, but it's a place on the road the travelers can stay. 
The Samaritan stays there with the man overnight and looks after him until the man starts to get better. Think about the amount of patience the Samaritan is showing here. He's really gone out of his way to look after the man because he's had mercy on him. So it takes patience, sacrifice, and love, and that's something which the Jews believe the Samaritans did not really understand at all. Verse 35, next day he took out two denarii. So one denarius is one day's wage. So he's looking at two days wages here and handed them to the innkeeper. So he gives the money to the innkeeper in exchange for looking after the man for a little while until he gets back. So the Samaritan has to go and do what he was on the road for in the first place, but he gives money to the innkeeper to look after him in the meantime. So the Samaritan has sacrificed his time and now he's sacrificed his money as well to look after the beaten man. He's really going out of his way. So he says to the innkeeper, look after him and on my way back, I will make good any extra expense that you have. So the Samaritan leaves the man to recover for a few days and then goes to do what he was on the road for in the first place. And then on his way back, he returns to the inn to check on the man and probably the man would have been better by then. So he gives the innkeeper more money to cover the expenses of the man's treatment from the last few days. So basically, the Samaritan has taken complete financial responsibility for looking after the man. And probably it might have cost him an entire week's wages to look after this man who is a stranger to him. Now, interestingly, this parable possibly alludes to a similar situation that actually happened in the Old Testament. If you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 28 verses 8 to 15, there's a a scene there where the people of Judah are attacked, and instead of taking them prisoners, the four men of Samaria find these Jews, and they have compassion on the Jews. So, as part of their works of mercy, the Samaritans anoint the Jewish men, they put them on donkeys, and they take them to Jericho. Most likely, when the lawyer heard this parable, he was probably thinking of that Old Testament story. So he should know that there's a biblical precedent for showing love and mercy to one's enemies because the Samaritans did it to the Jews in the Old Testament. So that ends the parable. And now Jesus is going to ask the lawyer what he thinks of the parable. Verse 36, which of these three do you think proved himself a neighbor to the man who fell into the brigand's hands? So this is the question that Jesus wants the man to consider. Given that being a neighbor essentially means loving your neighbor, doing good to your neighbor, which of these three men actually fulfilled the description of doing good to their neighbor? In other words, what Jesus is getting at here is which of the three men actually followed God's will? Which of them really followed the love your neighbor commandment? Verse 37, the lawyer says, the one who took pity on him or showed mercy to him. So that would include all the things the Samaritan did, uh, paying for him, going and looking after him, treating his wounds. All of that would count as the things that the man did to show mercy to him. The priest and the Levite did not show mercy to the man. And therefore, the priest and the Levite did not fulfill the love your neighbor commandment. It's pretty shocking, isn't it, to the original audience? Who fulfilled the love commandment here? It was the Samaritan, the one that they considered to be outside of God's covenant. Whereas the people who were supposed to be the holy people, the priest and the Levite, did not fulfill God's will here. Now, notice that even when the lawyer says this in verse 37, it was the one who took pity on him. He can't bring himself to say it was the Samaritan who did that. He seems to have real trouble actually saying it was the Samaritan. He doesn't want to admit that. But it was. It was the Samaritan. 
So by asking the question this way, Jesus cleverly takes the focus off the who is my neighbor question and he refocuses the attention onto what does it mean to love your neighbor? What does that actually mean? So one way of putting it is he shifts the attention from the object of love to the subject who is to give the love. Jesus thinks that's the more important thing to consider because that's what the lawyer has not really grappled with. Now, remember how we said earlier that Possibly one of the motivations as to why the priest and the Levite did not go and help the man is they might have been concerned with ritual purity. Now, if that's the right interpretation, then that must mean that Jesus is teaching here that mercy and love takes precedence over the Jewish purity laws because the priest and the Levite should have gone to help the man. But that would mean that they were expected to violate the purity laws. And if that's the case, Jesus is teaching that love and mercy override the purity laws. There's a hierarchy in God's laws. And of course, that's something Jesus teaches several places in the Gospels, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew. That's not entirely brought out here, though. Certainly, Jesus is saying that God's people are called to extend mercy to everyone in need. They should not exclude anyone on the grounds of ritual distinctions. And certainly, that would fit with one of Luke's key themes. Luke is constantly on about the kingdom of God is open to everyone. Jesus says to the lawyer, go and do the same yourself, or most translations say, go and do likewise. Jesus now addresses this to the lawyer personally, go and do what the Samaritan did in the parable. Jesus is saying that if this lawyer wants to fulfill the love your neighbor as yourself commandment, which means he wants to get into eternal life, then he needs to go and show mercy and love to people in the same way that the Samaritan man did. That's going to include even those he would not naturally be inclined to love, so his enemies. And of course, that's a natural extension of what Jesus has said earlier in the gospel about love your enemies. This teaching still applies to Christians today. God says that if you're truly going to follow his will, we need to love our neighbor as ourselves in a similar way to what the Samaritan does. That's what God expects. So there's certainly a lot of meaning and a lot of good stuff that could be said about this parable that we need to think about and we need to reflect on. A couple of other comments here as we finish up this exegesis. Many people feel that Luke has included this particular parable, and in fact only Luke includes this parable, possibly because it portrays Samaritans in a favourable light, and the parable shows that Samaritans can be a part of God's people. In fact, that's a key theme in Luke's second book, in the book of Acts. So if you look at Acts chapter 1 in Acts chapter 8, it talks about how the Samaritans are welcomed into the kingdom. So maybe Luke includes this parable in order that people are more prepared for his sequel. And also the Greek word here that's used for compassion. So when the Samaritan sees the man on the side of the road, it says he had compassion for him. The Greek word for this is splachnizomai, which has only been used one other time in the Gospel of Luke so far, and that's when Jesus reacted to the widow's dead son in Luke chapter 7. And again, it actually occurs in the parable of the prodigal son as well. Now, for this reason, many scholars and church fathers believe that a legitimate spiritual interpretation of this text might be to understand that the Good Samaritan represents Jesus. And a lot of the church fathers kind of saw it as the beaten man is like Adam, uh, and there's all these people who come along and don't help Adam but then uh, because he's caught in his sin, but then Jesus is the one who lifts him up and looks after him and gives him all these good spiritual gifts. And so the church fathers kind of gave this an interesting spiritual interpretation. 
They didn't deny the literal interpretation. They just brought out some additional aspects to it. So that's an interesting, isn't it? Because as we said, the only other time that Greek word for compassion has been used was in reference to Jesus himself earlier in Luke. Let's now turn to the Catechism of the Catholic Church to see what the Church teaches about this passage or how this passage can help us understand uh, Catholic faith. So firstly, paragraph 2083, this is a commentary on you shall love the Lord your God commandment. Jesus summed up man's duties towards God in this saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The paragraph goes on from there. Paragraph 2822, this is about uh, a commentary on the line of the Our Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's a commentary on what does it mean to do God's will. It says, Our Father desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He is forbearing towards you, not wishing that any should perish. His commandments are that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also should love one another. This commandment summarizes all the others and expresses his entire will. So here we see that that love your neighbor commandment summarizes uh, basically all the others in a way. Paragraph 1825, this is in the section about love or charity. Christ died out of love for us while we were still enemies. The Lord asks us to love as he does, even our enemies, to make ourselves the neighbor of those farthest away and to love children and the poor as Christ himself. So here we see that reference to being a neighbor to others as part of Christian love. Lastly, paragraph 1293, there's an interesting link here to the rite of confirmation. In treating the rite of confirmation, it is fitting to consider the sign of anointing and what it signifies and what it imprints, a spiritual seal. Anointing in biblical and other ancient symbolism is rich in meaning, Oil is a sign of abundance and joy. It cleanses, like anointing before and after a bath. It limbers, the anointing of athletes and wrestlers. Oil is also a sign of healing, since it is soothing to bruises and wounds, and it makes radiant with beauty, health, and strength. So why is that paragraph linking to the parable of the prodigal son? What's the connection there? Well, you might have heard it. Remember, what is the thing? What is one of the things the Samaritan does for the beaten man? He cleanses his wounds with oil. And that paragraph here mentions that oil has lots of different uses and meanings. And one of them is to soothe bruises and wounds. And it actually references here the parable of the prodigal son. So that's all we have today. And hopefully you've really appreciated diving into the parable of the prodigal son on the literal level, doing a verse by verse exegesis. Sometimes we hear these stories and we think we understand them, but there's actually more going on when you really take the time to look at it verse by verse as we have today. If you think there's others who would like to hear this and would benefit from hearing it, then please share this episode with them. Leave a review on iTunes. Consider becoming a Patreon supporter of the ministry as well so we can keep making episodes like this. So thank you once again for all your support. And please tune in again tomorrow as we continue to go verse by verse through the Gospels.